So I need your prayers tonight because I'm going to be speaking on an area where Marcus stopped last week. Now, I don't want to say he was chicken, but he stopped right at a really juicy part of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, I'm going to pick it up from verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but I do forgive you, brother. Anyway, so I'm going to have you pray for me. Would you extend your hands to me? Father, I thank you that as I come, Lord, as I, this is of all the years that I've pastored and spoken and taught, I've never preached on this, so I desperately need your help. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to jump right in. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to start reading from the New King James, and then I'm going to shift over to the ESV. I'll tell you why. But, uh, okay, let's see if I can pull it up, first of all. Um, So, (laughs) this is, you know, I'm going to be talking about sex tonight. Everybody say sex. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Gary, you don't need to yell that loud. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Anyway, this is a topic that's not talked about in church. What I'm going to talk about tonight, it's just not talked about. It's not talked about in seeker-sensitive churches, and I'm not putting those down because they're reaching so many unbelievers. It's not talked about in charismatic churches. It's just not talked about. But because I have to speak and I can't skip over Scripture because we're doing the whole book of 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm going to jump right in here. And so, if, as I mentioned, if you have found... Gosh, I've got a split screen here. How'd that happen? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, there. Okay. Good. Okay, here we go. Even my iPad is a little nervous here. Uh, <laughs> okay, verse 9. I'm going to pick it up starting with verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, I want to just stop here because if you'll notice in verse 10, it says that people that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So my first question tonight is, And uh, you can put up the first question on the screen. My first question is, will these sins keep a person from heaven? What do you think? Well, if they're not forgiven, it definitely will. But what about if they purport to be a Christian, but they continue to live a lifestyle that is filled with some of these areas? What do you think? (laughs) My wife says no. I I can't disagree with my wife, okay? Anyway, so you're both right. You're both right. Here's the deal. A person who continues to not have a repentant heart in these areas, the question is, are they really believers? Has Jesus really come into their life? Because what happens in these situations is there's not a desire to move away from sin. See, when Jesus Christ came into my life, and I don't know about you, but I was, I wasn't until I was 28 and a half, so I was really involved in a lot of sin. Now, The change was, it didn't stop immediately, but I began to have a dislike for those things and a desire to please God. And as I've grown in Christ, it's gotten stronger that way. And so hopefully for every believer, even if they were involved in all kinds of sin, that changes as Jesus comes into their life. So the truth is, and he says here, the truth is, no, it will not keep, if you've committed these sins, it will not keep a person out of heaven because he says right here in, in verse 11, he says, and, oh boy, how did I get to the ASV? That's weird. Hold on, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, let, me, let me find out. It jumps. Okay, here we go. It says this. It says, uh, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So in other words, <laughs> the scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, It says very clearly, if you confess your sins, and this is written to believers. This was not written to unbelievers. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So the truth is, you know, whether you had a, 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 a really bleak past, like I have, uh, God forgives that, but there needs to be a change in our life where we begin to not go after those things and not to continue to live in those things. Amen or oh me? So, <laughs> all right. So, obviously, um, you know, we, none of us have reached perfection. You know, it's interesting. There is a doctrine, a doctrine of perfectionism. And some people believe that you can achieve perfection in this life. And uh, <laughs> the truth is that we are striving to move toward the perfection but I believe even till we die, there's always a battle going on, according to uh, Galatians 5, between the flesh and the spirit. So there's a natural thing going on. The thing is we don't yield to it as we did before we were believers. So hopefully that's really clear to each and every one of you that, that it's really, really important to see that and to understand that and to know that because, uh, you know, and, and here, here's the thing. In fact... Uh, the next passage I want to go, well, you can put up the next question. So the question is, what is true freedom? Now, a lot of people will say, well, freedom is being able to do whatever I want. And uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul, he, he actually addresses this. Now, you have to understand the Corinthian church was a place that was filled with sin. They actually had temple worship uh, on almost every street corner. They had temple worship where there were prostitutes and part of the worship was getting together with the prostitutes. That was a form of worship. So you can imagine how these people who became believers had were really steeped in this. <coughs> and so Paul was trying to get across this. He, he was really dealing with these areas in a very, very powerful way. And, uh, and so the next verse goes on in verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All Things, um, and then he goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, that's really important to, to hear that. See, things will try to bring you under the power of it. Freedom is not being under the power of it. Freedom is being set free from the, from, from it, it actually empowers us not to sin. It empowers us to be free. And it goes on to say, uh, it says this, it says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. <clears throat> the new body is not for sexual immorality, uh, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. And so I just, he says here, true freedom <clears throat> is, you know, yes, you can do anything you want. We can do, any, we have a free will. We can do anything we want, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are good. And we don't want to be bring, brought under the power of those things. When, the, when those things can overtake us, you know, sometimes we can say, well, people are addicted to this. But God wants to set people free from that, from that thing that tries to master them. We want Jesus to be our master, amen? He's the one we want to serve, so it's really important we know how to deal with this area of sin. And so Paul was writing to people that really struggled with this, and uh, it, was, it was natural. Now, I'm going to shift over to the ESV, and, um, <clears throat> and so whatever translation you're in is fine. Uh, so I'm going to drop down again to verse, I was in verse 13. I, the, I'm going to read that, that latter part of verse 13. The body, <coughs> excuse me, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And then he goes on to say, let me just see if I've got this. Uh, <coughs> he goes on to say this. In the next verse he says, uh, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the member of a prostitute? Now this was directly related <coughs> to what was happening in, the, in the, you know, the temple prostitution that was happening in the heathen or the pagan temples uh, in Corinth. But it also related to just people because of that, people had a more lax attitude Toward, uh, and by the way, the word sexual immorality here, and I'll show you later, it's the word pornea, and it actually refers to sexual intercourse. And so uh, he makes it very clear, 
He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to just say that it's interesting. Um, today, in our culture, people do not value the Bible as God's word. Many people do not. Even some Christians say, well, you know, the Bible's really a good book. It's really helpful, but it, it's really kind of antiquated. And we have different sexual mores today, and, you know, and we need to really kind of update, you know, what the Bible says. Now, this is really dangerous. This is a very dangerous position to take because it's saying, I know or we know or, you know, culture knows better than God does. Now, you know, most of you here, I'm sure, believe that this is God's word and it's truth. But it's amazing how many people will rationalize a lifestyle that is more licentious or, or is just more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I can think of a lot of words that are not appropriate. But, uh, but anyway, a lifestyle that is more given to sexual interaction. And, uh, and so the question here is, and, and as I say, some people say, well, the Bible's outdated. And, and then another person will say, well, you know, I'm not married to this person, but, you know, we really love each other. So therefore, it's okay for us to have sexual relations. Or another person will say, hey, God forgives. He's a big God. He forgives. He knows my heart. And so, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, and, and, you know, other people say, well, everybody's doing it, so, you know, what's the big deal? Now, <laughs> I've got to tell you that it's rare today, and uh, I do premarital counseling, and I talk to, you know, couples and so forth, do weddings and so forth, but it's rare today to find a couple who are in the process of getting married that have not already slept together. I, I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> sometimes we live in a bubble and we think, well, that's not true, but it is true. And so the question is, and sometimes I try to explain to them beyond what the scripture says. I mean, to, to put teeth to the scripture. It says, when a person is joined to another person and they're not married, that they become one. Now, another term for that would be a soul tie. So if a, two people who are not married have sexual intercourse, basically that's a soul tie that, that happens outside of the bonds of marriage. And those can be detrimental. A person that has had many, many relationships, has many soul ties, and often has fragmented, they're fragmented in their personality. Now, the good news is Jesus can bring that person all back together as they repent, as they understand what's happened. And so you are not cursed by your past. You're not defined by your past. You're defined by Jesus Christ as you go on to the future. However, it's important to understand this. Because temp sexual temptation is a very natural thing. It's a very normal thing. It's something that God placed in us, the drive to procreate, or the human race would die out. And so you have to understand that's a very, very strong thing. <clears throat> However, when you understand that God talks about this very openly and honestly, I mean, I mean Paul does very openly and honestly, uh, it's important to know that those soul ties and the fragmentation of that personality. Let me tell you another thing, too, that I've talked to people about who are just starting to date. I said, you know, if you have sex early in your relationship before you get married, it is going to hinder you from getting to know each other in a deeper way. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that sex becomes the center of your relationship, and so the focus is on sexual relations rather than getting to know each other, to know whether it's God's will for you to eventually join your lives together in marriage. <clears throat> it's really, really important to know this. And it's really important to understand this. The problem is it's not talked about because it's not politically correct. You know, it upsets people. But you know what? We want people to know the truth because the truth is what sets people free. And it's so important, and, and again, no condemnation. If you've gone through struggles like this, I want you to know that God forgives, but you've got to come honestly to him with a repentant heart and let him cleanse you from that and really depend on him to keep you in that place of purity and holiness. And so, again, you know, you say, well, why is it so important? Well, there's so many reasons. 
Two people that are living together and, and they're not married, and you know, that's very, very rampant in our society, uh, and, and I don't condemn people for that. I just say, you know, there's a better way to do this. There's a lot better way of, of handling this because if you're just living together and you're just sleeping together and, you're, you know, and you haven't made a commitment in marriage and you haven't really joined your lives together, it's really going to be hard to know what God's will is and, and it's going to really be hard to know each other. It's going to be harder than when you, when, when you don't. Now, I, I got I to gotta be honest. Uh, now, my wife and I, Yvonne and I, have been married... How many years have we been married now, honey? I don't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got married in the middle of March in 1986. So that would translate to it'll be 33 years this year. Now, um, we, were, we, we had met each other, and I had gone through a divorce, and Yvonne had never been married. And we were, you know, we were attracted to each other. And by the way, uh, some Christians think it's not good to be sexually attracted to your partner, uh, to a person you're dating. Uh, you know, well, if you can't handle it, it's probably not. But if you're going to be married, sexual attraction is a good thing. It's good to be sexually attracted to the person you marry. So all I'm saying is that, you know, and so we decided we made a commitment to each other that we would not have sexual relations until we got married. Now, I'll be honest with you. You say, well, were you, were you tempted? I was. I was tempted. I don't know if she was, but I was. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, the bottom line was, the, 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 the bottom line was we made a commitment. Now, what, we were going to get married in June. Now, I'll be honest with you. We, we were both teaching at the time, and so we had spring break, and so we moved the wedding up to March 15th. So we wouldn't fall into sin. Anyway, and we got married on March 15th. And, but I got to tell you, it's really, you know, important to either repent, you know, or, or, or make that commitment to each other <clears throat> if you're dating. And, uh, and, and here's another thing, too. Um, it's interesting, in that passage that I read, it says uh, those who are involved in sexual immorality... And, and then it goes on to say adulterers. And so uh, the sexual immorality here, and I'm going to give you the word for it, uh, it's actually talking about relations between two unmarried people. <clears throat> it also, adultery means one person is married or both people are married and have, uh, have sexual relations with a person outside of their marriage. And this is extremely difficult and, and it's detrimental not only to the people, but it's very detrimental. I've, I've you know, counseled people who have gone through uh, one partner has been unfaithful. And I want to tell you, it's so painful when one partner in a marriage has been unfaithful and, you know, the other person, and to try to get them back together. I have seen those marriages come back together. It's been difficult to build the trust again, but it's very difficult for the person who, who it feels like a victim of the unfaithfulness and also the person that was unfaithful. If those two people are really willing to get before God, and if that person that was unfaithful really repents, breaks off the relationship, really pours himself into that marriage and, and works it back, I have seen it come back together. However, if the person is wishy-washy, they can't decide whether they want to stay in the marriage or they want to be with their new partner, then it's a totally different thing. It's very, very hard for them to come back and to build that, that trust. Even though God forgives, there has to be a rebuilding of trust. So again, uh, again, I would say if you're married, make sure that you do not allow temptation to take you outside of the bounds of your marriage. You know, on a cold night, and we've had a lot of them lately, it's great to have a fire in your living room. However, that fire needs to be in the fireplace, amen? Because if it jumps out into, onto the rug, guess what happens? Your house goes up in fire. And, and so, I know. Uh, see, if this had been announced what I was preaching on, this place would be full tonight. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is that it's so important that you look to this. Now, another thing I want to show you here that, that I think is extremely important, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, if we go to verse, I'm going to go to verse 18 now, and you can put this, verse, put this up if you would. Uh, this is verse 18 through 20, the latter part of this, and it's, it's in the ASV. I'm going to put up the actual, actual words here. Um, and before we do that, actually, 
go back to the, I'm sorry, go back to the, um, the, the slide before that. There's a slide right before that. Are all sins the same? Now, let me ask you that. Are, is all sin the same? What do you think? What? Some say no. Okay. And if, I heard a couple of yeses. Well, let me say this. Any sin, any sin, if it's not forgiven, can send you to hell, right? I mean, is that agreed upon? However, there are levels of sin. Murder is a sin that is considered uh, higher than, let's say, lying. Um, But here's what I want you to see. Paul makes a very strong distinction between sexual sin and non-sexual sin. He makes the distinction. Now, I want you to see this. So there are different grades. There's different gradations of sin. Uh, You may be a sinner, but I guarantee you Adolf Hitler was a worse sinner than you were. Amen? Doesn't that make you feel better? (laughs) Okay. So here, look at this. Verse uh, 18 says, flee, and you can put that up. Yeah, good, you've got it up. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, I want to stop there because the word sexual immorality, that could mean a whole lot of things. That could mean, what are some examples of sexual immorality? You help me here. Adultery, what else? Pornography, what else? Homosexuality? Fornication, okay. And by the way, let me just, deter- let me just say that <laughs> I feel weird uh, def- defining these. Fornication is between two unmarried people. Adultery is between one or two married people uh, who are not married to each other. And so uh, homosexuality, obviously, and lesbianism, within the same you know, male and female homosexuality uh, is what it refers to. Um, and so any of these things uh, are considered sexual sin. Now, what I, what I want you to think about that, here's the word, put up the uh, next slide, which is the, the Greek word for, which is translated sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word here is pornea, say pornea. Now, what's an obvious word we get from that? Pornography. However, this word does not mean pornography. This is not pornography. The word actually clearly defined, you can look it up, uh, it actually means illicit sexual intercourse. In other words, sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage. Now, that can be heterosexual intercourse or it can be, it can be homosexual. Sex outside of the bonds of marriage is considered sexual immorality. And so the word here in the Greek is actually fugeo porneo, flee sexual immorality. In other words, do everything you can to get away from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's extremely destructive to a person's life. And people say, <laughs> I've had people say, yeah, but it's so much fun. It's, so, it's really enjoyable. I go, yeah, God made sexual relations enjoyable, but he also set boundaries for marriage to be the, the place where that happens. Otherwise, it's destructive, even though, it, yeah, it, seem, it says seen as pleas- sex is pleasant. I mean, sex. sin is pleasant for a season. I'm getting hung up here. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I told you this is a hard topic to speak on. Anyway, uh, so, so what I want you to see, so it, the question is, it's, it's really clearly defined. So when it says flee sexual immorality, uh, it's actually talking very clearly about uh, sexual relations between a man and a woman outside of the bonds of marriage or two men or two women uh, outside of the bonds of, you know, I, I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> Okay, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so let's go back to this passage. So it says, Fugio porneo, flee sexual immorality. In other words, whatever you can, you've got to get away from it. If you're involved in it, you've got to repent of it. Uh, now it says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Now notice the, the discrepancy here. Every other sin is outside the body, but sexual immorality, again, which is porneo, which is sexual relations, not between married people, sexual, sexual immorality, uh, but the sexual immoral person, the porneo, the person who is involved in this, sins against their own body. Now think about that. 
So every other sin is outside the body. This sin, actually, they sin against their own body. How many of you know that's probably not a good idea? Amen? Thank you for that one amen. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so it goes on to say this. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and I would add a very high price. So glorify God where? In your body. How do you glorify God in your body? By not giving it to sexual relationship in any form outside of the body of, outside of, the body of Christ. Now, outside the body of Christ, <laughs> outside of your married relationship, <laughs> it's not okay if that's within the body of Christ. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is hard. Okay, anyway. All right, now I'm going to stop. <laughs> I want to stop here for a minute. And uh, I want to ask you if you have any questions. <laughs> now I'm opening myself up. <laughs> okay, a question way in the back. You're going to have to spit, yes, say, it, say it loud. I'm sorry? Yeah. What is immorality inside the marriage? That would be adultery. Yeah. In other words, if a, if a person is married and they have sexual relationships, oh, you mean if they have sexual relationships outside the marriage, that's adultery. Is that what you mean? Uh, two married people cannot be, they can't have adultery if they're having a relationship together. Is that what you're asking? Now, that's different, yeah. If there's abuse, and I'm going to get to that. If there's abuse, then that is a, that's a form of abuse. That's not adultery. That's sexual abuse. And that's wrong, obviously. And I'm, going to get to, I'm just going to jump over to the next chapter, just the first few verses there, talk about a husband and a wife and how they need to respond toward each other. Abuse is definitely wrong. It's sinful. It's not right. And, you know, uh, God does not smile at it or look at it in, in a correct way. So what you're saying is, yeah, uh, sexual abuse within a marriage is extremely wrong and needs to be repented of and needs to be dealt with. And so, yeah, that's very, and it's hard on the person who's being abused, you know? And so, yeah, that's very, very important. Thank you for bringing that up. Very good question. Does that answer your question or did I, did I answer it? I did. Okay. Thank you. Other questions? I may choose to not answer, though, if it's too tough. <laughs> My son's back there. I may have him answer it. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, any other questions? Because I've covered a lot of ground, and, and there are questions, and you might be afraid to ask it, but I wasn't afraid to preach, so you, you, can be, you don't need to be afraid to ask. Any other questions? No? No other questions? Okay, uh, is, let me see if I understand this question. Is repentance of sexual sin different outside of the marriage or inside the marriage? I'm not sure what you mean. Oh, I see what you're saying. <clears throat> you know, repentance is repentance. And obviously the way to deal with any kind of sin in a person's life is through repentance, to really come with a very sincere heart to God, ask forgiveness, receive the forgiveness, and, and, you know, and let it go. Now, the, the thing is, I think sometimes I have found that because sexual sin, it says when you know, people are joined, there sometimes can be soul ties that, uh, that come out of that. So that has to be dealt with a little differently you know, than another, like say, stealing or something like that. Uh, sometimes those soul ties need to be broken, they need to be repented of, and there needs to be a healing of that because what happens is there's a connection that occurs uh, in that relationship uh, outside of marriage. There's a connection, and sometimes that connection is very deep in the soul, and so it really has to be dealt with where God brings healing to it, and, and, and it's very powerful when that happens. But, so there, I, there is a difference. Just like when he says every other sin is outside the body, this sin is inside the body. So, yeah, I do think there's a slight difference there, but it just depends on the situation. Does that help? Okay, great. Okay, I'll take one more question, then I'm going to go on and wrap it up. Uh, yeah, right there. So, you said that sexual immorality is 
Pornea. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, the true meaning of the word pornea is it does not encompass pornography. Pornography would be outside of the, the actual meaning of the word. If you want to be really strict with the meaning of the Greek word, translated sexual immorality, uh, no, it would not be. However, saying that, Pornography can, can cause a lot of problems in a person's life. And so I'm not saying it's okay to be involved in pornography at all because it causes a lot of torment to the person. It causes, uh, you know, areas, and it can cause that person to be more promiscuous or desire more promiscuity just through the images of seeing that. So I think it's very, very harmful, but the strict definition, it is not within that strict definition. Does that help? Probably not what you wanted to hear, but that's, I'm just giving you the, the very, yeah, you know, yeah. but I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, but that's, that's the honest, uh, you know, just the honest, when you look at the word, that's what the word is. And it refers to both heterosexual sex and homosexual sex, which are both forbidden, uh, you know, and so anyway, thank you for that. Yeah, somebody else had a question in the back? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But let me just say something about that passage. In fact, let's look at that passage because uh, that's a good point you brought up. Pornography is very destructive in a marriage. Just, I mean, just to be very honest, it causes a lot of destruction. It often makes, you know, and, and usually ma- men are, happen to be more involved in pornography because men are more turned on through the eye, through the eyes than a woman, and so they tend to, you know, the. The statistics are much, men are much more involved in pornography than women. And the problem is that causes tremendous problems in a marriage because it makes, you know, the, the woman feels uh, slimed, you know, feels really bad about it. it. It's really, it's a difficult thing, and it needs to really be repented of and dealt with. And uh, if you go to that passage um, where Jesus says that, is it in Matthew? I know it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Is it 5, 6, or 7? Do you, do you happen to know? So. Somebody find it and tell me where it is. 527. Okay, go ahead and turn there, and I'm going to read this. Now, I want to, I want to make this clear, um, and I think this really ties in with, with this question about pornography. It's so good we can talk about this. See, this stuff never gets talked about, folks, and uh, I think it's really important that we do talk about it because the less we talk about it, the more okay it seems because the church is silent on it, and so it seems like, oh, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. And, uh, okay, Matthew, it was in my Bible. Okay, here it is. Matthew 5, <laughs> 27. Okay, go ahead and turn to that. I want you to see this in the context. And uh, I think it's really important. Uh, this, Jesus says this. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, let me stop right there. Let me ask you, is it the same thing of, let's say, a man lusting for a woman, is that the same thing as him going to bed and have sexual intercourse with her? Is it? Yeah, here's the thing. It's not the same. And here's how you know, Jesus right after that says, what he's getting to is the motive. He wants to stop it before it becomes that, which you're right. And so he goes on to say in the next verse, if your right eye causes you to stumble, how did I get into the ASV? Hold on, sorry. <laughs> if causes thee to stumble. Anyway, <laughs> to stumbleth. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me, oh, now I lost the whole thing. Oh, this drives me nuts. Okay, let me go back to 27. Okay, I'm back in ESV. Uh, okay, look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, but I say to you that everyone who... Oh, I read that part. Uh, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now let me say something. Have, I, I want, I'm just going to talk to the men right now. Ladies, you don't have to answer this. 
men, have you ever lusted for a woman? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Why do you have your eyes still intact in your body? You obviously didn't obey Jesus. And has your hand ever caused you to sin? Men? Anybody know? You've never sinned? Yeah, you're full of crap. Anyway, the, tr- <laughs> the truth is, the truth is this. The truth is, Jesus was saying, cut it off before it causes the, the totality of the sin. You've got to get to the root of it. So if it's starting to cause you, you better cut it off. Obviously, he didn't mean for us literally to pluck out our eyes and, you know, walk around with stubs and blind. He didn't, he didn't, that was not what he was after, amen? But he wanted us to deal with the lust before it caused us to do something that was horribly detrimental. And that's where pornography comes in in the same way. I think that fits under the same thing. Does that help? Okay, that's damn good preaching, actually. Anyway, (laughs) all right, now, here's what I want you to see. Let's go... I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 7. This is just, we just finished uh, <clears throat> in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse, uh, I'm just going to start with 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now this, it just went through the place where you were bought with a price, you know, you know your body is not your own. Now here's what I want you to see. This goes right into the next thing. It's, you know, in the original language, in the original uh, letters, the le- it was just a letter. Now, it was broken up so I could say turn to 1 Corinthians 7. But originally it just went right into it. So right after it talked about the importance of fleeing sexual immorality, then he goes in and he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to have uh, sexual... I'm sorry. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is good for a man not to, not to have sexual relations with a woman, obviously. So, and he's already made that point. So it says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, and that again is the word pornea, because of the temptation to sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage, he says this, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because it's not only the man that's tempted, the woman's tempted too. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. Now that's a big word. What are her conjugal rights? Anybody want to say what conjugal rights are? Yeah, but we're talking about sexual access. Yeah, not just having a nice conversation. So, yeah, so, uh, so it's, it, yeah, it, and so the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For, listen to this. This is really important to hear this. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Now, that passage has been taken out of context and used to say, so the husband can demand whatever he wants whenever he wants it. That's not at all what it's saying. And it goes on to say, likewise, the husband, uh, I say, uh, likewise, okay, but the husband does. Okay, it says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then it says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, what he's saying here, and this has been misinterpreted, is the purpose of sexual relations is that the husband lives to please the wife and the wife lives to please her husband. Not that the husband can demand whatever he wants or the wife can demand whatever he wants. So it's really important. So the whole point of this, and it's very clear in other passages where Paul talks about husband and wife, that the, the, the wife you know, is to honor her husband, the, the husband is to love the wife as Jesus loved the church. In other words, they're to lay down their life for them. Now here's one of the sad things that happens. I have seen this, uh, sometimes Christians will try to remain celibate during their relationship before they get married. And sometimes they'll get married just because they, they don't want to sin. Let me tell you, that's not the reason to get married. The reason, the reason to get married is when you know that's God's plan for your life, for that person and you to get married. That's the, that's the truth. And so here's the deal, though. It's very, very important to recognize that, you know, it's, it's easy to let things get perverted. Now, here's what happens also. In Christian circles, there's not communication lots of times. Husband and wives need to communicate. 
They need to communicate about their sexual relationship. They, you know, but everything is so taboo, and people don't talk about it, but it's important to communicate. And you know, if, you know, if your wife says she has a headache, don't force the issue, amen? You know, say, how about, can you take an Excedrin tomorrow night, and maybe we'll try again. So in other words, <laughs> there, needs to be, there needs to be a clear communication. That's right, that's right, yeah. And sometimes it's important to do that. It's important, and it's important to, to really talk about it. I don't know why, but it's amazing how uh, Christian husbands' wives oftentimes will not talk about it. And, and it becomes something, and, and sometimes they've even grown up hearing that it was, that it was dirty. And uh, they were taught that it was a horrible thing. And yet, you know, sexual relations within the marriage is a wonderful thing. And Paul actually encourages it. And he says, you know, you know, allow basically for the husband to allow your body to be at the beck and call of your wife and let your wife, you know, in the same way. But communicate. It's not forcing. It's not, you know, demanding. That's totally wrong. That's not love. And so, you know, obviously sexual relationships without love are basically animal. It's like two animals going at it. But when there's love, there's a whole other element and a whole other reality. And love considers the other partner as more important than your, meeting your own sexual needs. If it's all about you meeting your sexual needs, that's wrong. You've got to communicate. You both have needs. Maybe one has more than the other, but you've got to communicate and really work that out. Amen or oh me? Maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Anyway, um, I, <coughs> I mean, there's other things. Well, let me just ask, since we're talking about marriage, uh, any questions in this area? Because I've covered a lot of ground here, and I don't want to be flippant about it, and I don't want to cover things too quickly, but anything else? Any questions in, in the realm of, of the marital relationship? Go ahead. Yes? For sexual gratification? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Could you all hear that? Yes? Okay. Very good point. Pornography usually is for self-gratification. And that means you're keeping yourself, in a marriage, that you're keeping yourself from the partner. And it's actually, it's almost like having a mistress. It's not exactly the same according to the Greek word. But it is. It's very, very destructive. Very destructive to a marriage, very destructive to, and even for a single person, it, it can be very destructive and it can feed the flesh and the passions of the flesh, which make it harder to control. So, you know, I, I think that's pretty clear. So, yes? Sure. Because you could go home and do. You could go home and, and have pornography. Oh, do pornography. Okay. So they wouldn't work at communicating, working on the relationship, because they would just go home, and it was easier to just do pornography and self-gratify. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's the bottom line, though. There is very, very little true gratification in self-gratification. And, and like you said, having sex with yourself. There is really no true gratification in that. It may be a temporary relief, but there's no true gratification in that. There's no fulfillment in that. There's no fulfillment in, you know, having relations in your mind with someone on the screen or on your computer or on your whatever it is. There, there's no real fulfillment in that. It's, it's actually detrimental to your own person. And it's, it's really harmful and hurtful. And it's sad that there is a lot of pornography in our world today. And, you know, when I was a kid, I remember my dad uh, he, he was a traveling salesman. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I used to go check out his, his uh, suitcase when he got home because he'd have a Playboy magazine there lots of times. And that was, that was the extent of pornography. Now, pornography is rampant on, on the Internet. I mean, it's so sad. It, it's really a sad, sad thing. We live in a culture now that is, bombards people with sexual images. 
And uh, even sometimes, you know, and I'm not on the computer that much, but sometimes I'll be in the, and something will pop up, you know, and you just got to go, what? Where did that come from? So you have to be vigilant and you have to really, you have to really be clear to, to really fight against that. But thank you for, that's, thank you for bringing that up. That's, that's really a good point. But there's no real gratification in that. And, uh, you know, it, as I said, it's, it's not fulfilling and it does hurt the relationship in, in, in a marriage relationship. So very good. Okay, yes, another question. I got to come over here so I can hear you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What kind of spiritual impact? Yeah. Good, good point. Uh, let me just rephrase the question and see if I got it right. Um, she's asking... What kind of a spiritual impact does this have on a person when they're involved in pornography or other things, you know, outside of uh, the marriage relationship? What kind of spiritual impact? Well, what kind of spiritual impact do you think it has? What's that? It's really bad. Yeah, it, it, actually, it actually really hurts your relationship with Jesus. Because, first of all, a person that does that feels guilty. And they're doing it, but it's almost like they feel like they can't stop but they feel guilty, so it hurts their relationship with the Lord, it hurts their relationship with God, it hurts their relationship with the people that they're around, and also it can cause them to look at another man or a woman through the eyes of lust rather than as a brother or, as, as a brother or sister, which is the way we're supposed to treat each other in the body of Christ. So it's very, very bad. And, it's very, and, and I think if people realized how bad it is, but it's just not talked about. It's seldom talked about. You know, but, but it's good. We can talk about it tonight. And uh, I think uh, I just appreciate all of you for just being transparent and being willing to, you know, talk about it. Uh, and I want to thank you. So I'm going to, it's about time to end. Uh, I can take one more question if, you know, yes, go ahead. Yeah, good question. <clears throat> She's asking if homosexuality is considered a sin if they're married. Well, <clears throat> the interesting thing, in the time that the Bible was written, uh, homosexuals could not marry. You understand that? Now, I know now in Colorado and some other states, it's legal to be a homosexual and to marry. Um, the thing is, uh, the Bible doesn't say homosexuality is okay if you're married. Uh, it says that homosexuality is wrong. And in Romans chapter 1, which I won't go there because I'm running out of time, but Romans chapter 1, you can read it, it makes it very, very clear that any form of homosexuality, whether it's two women or two men, is actually wrong before God. And so because society has said two people of the same sex can be married and have sex and everything and it's fine, just because society is okay that uh, we have to decide, do we choose to go by what society says or what God's word says. Now, here's the deal, though. We, as believers, we don't treat those people mean. We're not mean toward them. Uh, we're, we're loving toward them. We accept them. Uh, if they ask us, then we can help them. I had a situation when we lived in our old home. Uh, this was probably 15 years ago. Uh, when we lived in our old home, there was a lady who was a lesbian, lived right across the street from me. And, uh, and so I remember we would talk. I would always say hi to her. I knew that she, that was what she practiced. And one day she said to me, why are you being nice to me? She said, I know who you are. I know that you're the lead pastor of The Rock. And she said, why are you being nice to me? I said, well, why wouldn't I be nice to me? Why wouldn't I be nice to me? Jesus said to love your neighbor. And I, you know, why would I be nasty? Well, she said, you know that I'm a lesbian. I said, yes, I know that. But that doesn't mean that I hate you. Anyway, it turned out that she, she was, she actually, several months later, she was moving. And I went over and I said, can I help you in any way? And she said, yes, I really need some help moving some dressers. So I helped to move the dressers into her U-Haul. And she had another couple of people were there. And, and so finally she comes out and she says to me, she says, you know, uh, I really appreciate the way you've treated me and your attitude toward me. And it's really meant a lot to me. And, and then she said, but I really want to know, how does God feel about my lifestyle? And I said, well, <laughs> and I, I, this was a really hard moment for me because we'd had just a really great communication. But she was asking me. 
I wasn't hammering her with, you know, how can you live this way? I said, well, do you really want to know what God says in the Word? And she says, I do. I said, well, God feels that homosexuality is a sin, and lesbianism is a sin, but, but so is lying, and so is cheating. I mean, he doesn't say it's a worse sin, but it is sin, so it's not living the best way for God. She says, you know, I don't really like to be a lesbian, but I am. She says, I don't really like it. And then she cried, put her head on my shoulder, I hugged her, and about an hour later, she drove off, and I never saw her again. But I, I, it's so important that we don't condemn those. We leave that to God. We reach out to those people in love. And what I found is, when you can reach out to a person in love, you'll have a better audience than if you condemn them. So anyway, thank you for asking that question, though. A difficult question, but a very good one. Because sometimes society and the Word of God come into conflict. For example, abortion would be another example. Abortion is legal by law. However, the Bible uh, condemns it in Psalm 139. It condemns abortion because life begins not when the child's born, but actually at conception. So again, these are areas where, and again, we don't condemn the person that has an abortion. We love that person. And so it's so important that we have the right attitude toward those people. But we also have to know that when we have the opportunity to speak the truth, we need to do it. But if we can't do it in love, it's probably not going to have an impact. Ephesians 5, 4, or, I'm sorry, 4, 15 says speak the truth in love. And so we've always got to do that. We've always got to reach out to people. We want to help them. We want to love them. We're not responsible for their actions, and we don't take responsibility for their actions. We love people, and we accept people, but we also, if they ask us, if we have the opportunity, we let them, we, we tell them what we believe is truth. If they accept it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't, and life goes on. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to pray. Thank you for tonight. This was a little scary for me, but I got through it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know my son was worried too. He was going to have a, a little statement. <laughs> the, the statements that are made tonight are, are not necessarily the view of the management. <laughs> anyway, I want to pray for you. Father God, I want to pray for each and every person here. And Father, anybody that's experiencing sexual temptation right now, I ask you will come with them, stand with them, give them strength, help them, Lord, help them to receive forgiveness. There's always forgiveness freely given by you. And Father, I ask you to help them, walk with them. Father, we all struggle. None of us are totally free. None of us have reached perfection. We all struggle in different areas of our life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And Father, I also ask that you will help us to be very real with other people that we come in contact with and uh, to walk in love to walk in acceptance, but also not to be afraid to share the truth when they have the opportunity. Not to hammer people with truth, but to be able to share it if they ask. And we give you the glory now in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you all. Thank you tonight. I actually enjoyed it. I hope you did. God bless you. Okay, thank you.